the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 164 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to spend with us. Andrew and I are both on Twitter. I'm at Justin Hughes 365. Andrew is at AMCQ82. And the Baseball 365 official podcast is on Twitter at Baseball365Pod. And on this episode, it's part two of the catcher rankings. Andrew and I, just a couple days ago, we talked about, episode on episode 163, we talked about catchers 1 through 15 and how we ranked them. And on this episode, we're going to talk about the back half, the catcher twos, everything after catcher number 16, all the way through the end game of draft and holds. And then we're going to talk about some utility-only players too. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, you might want to pause this and go listen to that one first and then come back and listen to this one. And if you've already listened or you just want to hear about catcher twos and utility-only players, then carry on. Enjoy. On to the next tier. I'm 24 through 30. These guys are all going in the 300s. We got Austin Wells with the Yankees at 308. Jake Rogers, Detroit, 322. Connor Wong, 330. Jan Gomes, 365 for the Cubs. Patrick Bailey, 350, maybe 367 uh, for the Giants. Travis Darno at 381. And Freddie Furman at 390. Um, you know, let's talk about this group. Who would you pick if you're going to go end game on catchers here? Like right now, you just said you're in round 28 and you haven't taken a catcher. These guys are actually already gone. I'm assuming, but yeah, yeah, uh, most did you, of them, did, anyways. Was it that you didn't really like anybody from this area, or you just kind of missed them? Um, I think when I'm in this range, other than Austin Wells, I definitely like him. Um, I'll get to that in a second, but. Kind of when I get into this tier and beyond with catchers, and I think this same way with relief pitchers, I've probably mentioned it before, but you just get so far down the spectrum in a position where I start feeling like what's the what's the true difference between like somebody that is drafted here and somebody that's drafted even later and even later and even later. And I just, I feel like as a result, I'll push a lot of these guys down as far as I possibly can until I'm like, okay, now I, now I feel comfortable with it. Now I'll do it. And I'll miss on some of the guys in this tier because of that. But I guess what I'm saying is I I just don't care. Like it's not, they're not good enough. They're not providing me enough stats for me to care. Same thing with relievers. You know, it's like you get to a certain point, you're guessing on saves anyways. I mean, yeah, you can look at skills and stuff, but you're also evaluating skills in smaller increments. You know, you're looking at 40, 50, 60 innings of a season or, you know, maybe more than one season. But, like, you really have to be picky when you're using a pick, even in this range in, like, a 50-round draft. So I'm – I'm more likely than anything with these guys to just continue to push them down. And if that means I miss, then I just go to the next tier. You know, it's fine with me. I'm not 
losing any sleep over it. I will say Austin Wells is the one guy here that I think could shoot way up. I've always liked him. I think the skill set's perfect for Yankee Stadium. We haven't seen a ton of him, so it could be a complete whiff, but it's also a catcher going <clears throat> excuse me, catcher going around pick three hundred. You know, it's it doesn't have to be a complete home run. And I think it could be. He walks a lot. He's got some pop. Obviously, the lineup is pretty uh, pretty good. And, um, yeah, I think the main thing with him is just exactly how much playing time he'll have. But you could say that about a lot of the catchers in this range. Again, so I think he's got upside for sure in this range to move to, like, I mean, it wouldn't shock me really at all if Austin Wells ended the season as like the tenth best catcher or something. So I think, I think this is a good range. But again, it's another one of those guys, kind of like Campusano, is trendy, you know, and yes, continuing probably to move up, especially if we get to spring and it's clear he has the job, stuff like that. Yeah, I think Wells is probably closer to the tier above us than this tier in terms of that. But it, yeah, it depends on price. You know, you were saying about this group, and I'm with you in terms of if I'm at this group, especially after Wells, I'm probably just going to go on and continue tanking. Like, the difference between this group and the next group may be 150 to 200 at-bats, but what's the quality of those at-bats on the same note? It might be right. something that's just dragging you down less. Um, right. You just you just don't ever want to be in a spot in a draft where you're like, oh, my God, I need a catcher. I still I've only got one catcher. So I'm just going to take a crap C2 because I need a catcher. When you can just wait even longer and do it. You know, it, like unless you see a true difference like a true difference in the player you're selecting and the rest of, you know, you plug any of them into the auction calculator when you get down this far, it's like there's not much margin in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like there's their season end stat line, you know, whoever you want to pick, like two guys from this group and two guys from the next, they're not going to be that far off. Yeah, you'll have one or two guys out of here that breaks out. If you feel strongly about one of them, go for it. Sure, you know, it's it's still, you know, we're still talking about picks after pick 300, but um, any time that I'm, like if I'm taking a guy from this group, it's probably the one that just happens to slip in my draft or the one where I'm totally comfortable with, or I'm like, you know what? I don't love anybody else here. This is probably a good time to grab them. Stuff like that. You know, Freddie Furman, he had 235 plate appearances last year and was pretty productive in them, but he's only projected for like 234 on steamer, which makes me wonder why he's going in here whenever Sal Perez is their catcher. I mean, you know, part of the other part of that is Vinny Pascantino was out last year. He had the torn labrum, so they were able to put Sal Perez at first base a little more often. Like Freddie Furman, he, I, I hear his name a lot. I honestly didn't even know what he did at the end of last year until I looked. Whenever I was seeing he was getting a little trendy as a, like in these drafts. Like, what are your thoughts on Freddie Furman? Because I don't know if I'm willing to take the bite personally. Yeah, he was pretty uh, pretty solid overall. Two seventy seven expected batting average, pretty good barrel rate. Mm-hmm. You know, above league average, hard hit rates. You know, all good. Um, like you said, the main thing is how many at bats. Um, 
I mean, it, it kind of probably depends on how you feel about Sal Perez and how much he can handle. Like if, if Sal Perez was out, you know, and just injured or whatever it, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I think he could be productive, but I think if Sal Perez is in there, I mean, how bad would he have to be to be losing at bats to Freddie Fermin? You know, I don't or, like. I don't think that's I even just, possible with yeah, Sal, right. what Sal Perez means. Team, could they move him? Possibly. Well, that's the uh, that was the other thing I was going to mention is maybe they move him. But he's the face of um, that organization. Right. Right. And the other th- the other thing, and I don't get unless it's a really clear guy that I know is going to hit near the top of the order and just rack up counting stats, runs an RBI. I don't think a ton about this, but I think it also like you have to mention that the Royals lineup sucks. Uh, yeah, like I'm looking and, at it right now. Yeah, it's just there's some teams where even if you are like somewhat productive your counting stats just aren't going to be as good because the team around him isn't good and like i said i don't think a ton about that a lot of the time because i think things like um where somebody hits in the batting order you know unless it's like mookie Betts or freddie freeman or adley you know certain guys you know are going to hit near the top of the lineup and they're in good lineups and they're going to be productive. But sometimes it, when it's a guess, it's like, I don't know, you know, like if a guy's hitting second as opposed to eighth, obviously his counting stats are going to be better. But when you tack on the Royals lineup onto anybody, it's just kind of like a, <laughs> you know, it's just the lineup just isn't good. Yep. So I wonder, you know, even if, a guy like this is productive, what that even means or what that even looks like. It's it's kind of just tough. So at this point, you know, we've got 30 catchers off the board and most people, almost everybody's taken two at this point and we're on to reserve catchers. So uh, just for draft and holds, you and I are doing a lot of draft and holds. Just a quick question on terms of how many catchers do you want to take for on top of the two do you are you more of a three catchers or four catcher guy in draft and hold leagues typically four um i have done in 12 team draft and holds i've done three some and i think that that's mostly just because in those there are better options available. Like when you're, when you're thinking about a fourth catcher at the end of one of those, the other positions still have guys that are pretty appealing compared to a 15. So I've, I've messed around with three catchers in those, but typically in a 15 team, two catcher draft and hold, I'm taking four. I'm with you on that. about you? Yeah. yeah, I'm with that. I I'd like to have the at bats and get guys. I really like getting if it's a team where I feel pretty good about who the backup catcher is going to be. Like if I take Wilson Contreras, I really do want to get Ivan Herrera. And yeah, if I t- like Blake Sable, I'll, I'll, I want to get him. If I if I've taken um 
shoot, just blanking on his name, Patrick Bailey. Even though they, I guess I say that they just drafted Tom Murphy, so actually that we'll get to that in a second. But Vasquez with Jeffers. Um. Anyways, uh, Renee. Um, the next tier here we got. I'm not, I'm not gonna give their numbers or anything, but these are guys going between picks 400 and real, 600. Real quick, can I? You I got just something? Mention yeah. What do you want? Real quick. Yeah, I just was gonna say. Um, one thing I would just be a little aware of though is like when you're in a draft and hold. And you're thinking about your fourth catcher. Obviously, it's somebody that's not very good yep. most of the time. But I feel like as a whole, like as a community, we can overrate a little bit like what the impact would be on just putting a fourth catcher in there. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I kind of think of it like this. I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I've definitely mentioned it. There was a couple weeks stretch in my main event league where I had Bo Naylor in an active slot and he was in the minors. Yeah. And I mostly did it because I wanted him when they called him up. And like the other options just weren't good. And I didn't want to stash a third catcher, you know, seven man bench, all that. But my point is, like, I still was able to win the league. My offensive numbers were still really good. And I had a dead catcher slot. I think I had him active for, I think it was two weeks. And then I, and then I finally, um, or no, and then I believe he got called up. Or maybe I dropped. I know I dropped, had him and dropped him and picked him back up, stuff like that. But I know there was at least two weeks where I had him active, getting me zeros. Yep. And I think that you can win. In a draft and hold, even if you have that. Now, you, granted, you don't really want to have it for the whole year. Correct. But but I also think that for short periods of time, some of these guys, most of these guys that are like catcher fours that you're taking at the end, you could probably make the argument like they're hurting me more than they're helping me. And it may make more sense to like have an extra pitcher, an extra outfielder, an extra flex guy that I can move all over stuff like that. So just something to be aware of. I'm not saying do it for sure or whatever, but I would definitely, I always am thinking about that when I'm about to pick my fourth catcher. I'm just like, God, do I really need to roster this guy? Yeah. We talked about it in the Rotomasters draft and hold. One thing I did like is I waited till rounds 49 and 50 to take a third and fourth catcher. And at that point I felt okay with it. Cause I wasn't really, I mean, it's the 50th round and I really wasn't seeing yeah. even pitchers that I was like, I need to get this guy. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I honestly think you're fine three or four catcher. I'm okay with either format. I typically end up with four, but I could take. I could be all right taking a third one. Uh, okay, so back to what I was saying. Round, this is everybody after pick 400 here. We got Renee Pinto with Tampa Bay. Uh, Gary Sanchez, who's a free agent right now. Miguel Amaya with the Cubs. Christian Betancourt with the Miami Marlins. Ivan Herrera with St. Louis. Blake Sable, San Francisco. Nick Fortes, Miami. Tom Murphy, who's now with the Giants. Christian Vasquez with Minnesota. Corey Lee with the White Sox. And Victor Caratini, who is now with Houston. Renee Pinto, uh, that's that's the other trendy name I hear. Everybody, every fantasy baseball hipster's favorite catcher right now is Renee Pinto. Um, Tampa Bay, he doesn't, they don't have anybody else on that team right now. But Alex Jackson, do you think they'll go into the season with him as the clear guy? 
There aren't yeah, any free I mean, agents I, right now. I'll say that. Yeah, I could see it. Um, it's so weird to even really have him mentioned because in my first draft, the one we talked about on here, mm-hmm. I took him in round 48 <laughs> as my fourth catcher. And now pick 405. He's essentially being drafted as like a catcher two or, you know, close to that. Yeah. So I definitely like what he did. It was a small sample and who knows, you know, but at bats or at bats at this position, especially this late, I think he should get him at least for a while until he's terrible or something. But yeah, um, I don't mind him here. Herrera, I like your points um, with Contreras. Uh, one of those things where, you know, as long as they're not adding anybody else, which you don't really expect. They wouldn't. Um, yeah, I think I think he's a good handcuff. To that's the other thing with with drafting holds is obviously in a standard league, you're not even drafting most of these guys. They're waiver wire guys that you maybe pick up. But in a draft and hold, I don't think it's the worst thing if it's your third or fourth catcher to have handcuffs to your starters, like guys that, you know, God forbid your starter went down, you're at least getting at-bats from his backup in real life. So I don't I don't necessarily mind that, especially when you're, you know, you're splitting hairs anyways when you're down this far at catcher. So I don't mind that. Herrera's one. If if you told me tomorrow that Wilson Contreras was traded this offseason, which I went into the offseason kind of wondering if that would happen. At this point, it ain't happening. But oh, yeah. he's, shooting, he's shooting way up. I think he might be in that 16 to 23 range, and if not, 24 to 30. But I think so he's, he's like uh, where Austin Wells is at, maybe, right around there. Yeah, I think Austin Wells is a good comparison for where he'd be, and I'd be in yeah. on him at that price. I think he's a good hitter. I think he's a good player. And... Yeah, I, you know, Contreras is in his way, and I, he's one of those guys I, you know, the Cardinals had Andrew Kneisner and Herrera, and I kind of wonder if they could have traded uh, Herrera to get something, to get him more playing time somewhere else. He's a better player than Kneisner, but um, I don't know. I think I wonder if I would have rather just held on to him and let, you know, moved Herrera where you might have been able to get something back because I just like the player. I think he's better than a backup catcher on a team. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind that call. Okay. Let's see who else from this tier we want to talk about. Like, if you just, I'd, another like strategy, if you decided to totally wait and kept missing out on catchers. Maybe you need a catcher too. What about like comboing a couple of these guys? Like, for example, Fortes and Betancourt in Miami, something like that. I would have said Sable and um, now now there's three guys there in terms of Sable, Murphy, and um, I keep Patrick Bailey. So maybe that one's not as good of an option here. But what do you think about like Fortes and Betancourt and just get them both have this have what should be the player as long as they don't bring anybody in. I don't I don't mind it as much if it's like I'm trying to think of a good example of one that I cuz I think when you're this far down taking two of them is just essentially wasting a pick. I I don't think I would do that. But I also I don't mind it if it's a clear starter up top and then a clear backup as compared to this, where it's um, like they would like maybe switch. like like maybe uh, Yaner Diaz and Caratini. I don't mind that. Mm-hmm. 
because I actually, I actually don't mind Caratini. I, I've always felt like he's an okay mm-hmm. catcher just to throw in when he's playing. And then obviously Houston has a good lineup, but, um, but he, you know, he's not likely to get regular at bats, which is why he's going here. I just, I don't think I would, um, I don't think I'd burn two picks on like one spot in this range, so to speak, but I don't mind, like I said, locking it, like connecting it to one of your starters, specifically in a draft and hold in a regular, regular league. You're not, you're not even going to have to do this. And the other thing too, is in like a regular league, um, kind of a similar mindset, but I think there gets to a point with catchers where, like if I'm in a 30 round draft, 23 starters, seven bench with Fab, and I get to a certain spot with catchers, I'm just waiting till yes, the very end. Correct. The very end, and I, I mean, just be the last guy to take, take your second because you're probably going to rotate that spot anyways. You know, um, yeah, just using draft capital the best way you can. I think that's good strategy. Yeah, I think that's a really good point there. Okay, uh, anybody after 600 you want to talk about? I'm not really going to name these guys. Just any end-game catchers as I listed them all specifically um, on here. Oh, boy. Um, you got any? I I actually did in one of my drafts think about um, taking Harry Ford. It was a draft I had Cal Raleigh. I thought a little about that. Didn't ultimately do it. Um I've got one. I don't, I don't mind. Yeah. James McCann because of the fact that Adley's going to DH a lot. Like they're going to put Adley at DH to keep him fresh. And I just think that they'll keep playing him. It's a good lineup. I think James McCann's one. Like I like him a lot better than a lot of the people from the tier above personally. So yeah, I like James McCann. That would be the one I would mention. Yeah. God for, I mean, God forbid anything was to happen to Adley, then McCann would be pretty relevant. So like these guys, um, these guys after six fifty, a lot of them are guys that are have been drafted in less than half the leagues. But you know, there's two rookies in there with the seven forty one ADP of Ethan Salas and Kyle Teal. Would you draft either one? Yeah, I was actually gonna say, um, I think I took Teal in my last one. I'm pretty sure, right at the end. Uh, if not, I definitely thought about it. I forget if I drafted him or not. That just shows him in too many drafts, but <laughs> I'll say this. If I draft but, uh, Connor Wong, I'm definitely getting Teal. But yeah, I don't mind Teal as what you don't want to do is you don't want to take too many shots like that that Zeros. Uh you know, that could get could just be zero at bats for the whole season. You don't want to take multiple of those. I mean, this is pretty obvious, but multiple of those at especially at the same position. So if I feel really good about my first three catchers and it's like, okay, I just want to take a shot for my fourth. I don't mind Teal. I, I think that he could get to the majors this season. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's an obvious weak spot for Boston and uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty good, you know, in his pro debut. So don't mind that. Um, I still don't really mind Grandall, but I don't, I don't know. Like he's obviously been bad the last year or two, but it's yep. just completely free at this point. I don't I don't mind him down here. I could see Tampa picking him up. Yeah, it's just he's just one of those guys. I think 
if he gets picked up, he's probably getting some at bats and um yeah, it doesn't cost anything, so I don't I don't hate it. Um Man, people are drafting Ethan Salas, huh? Yeah. I know we bring this guy up a lot, but like what do you think? Like, man, I do think it's just one of those where the minute that the minute that call is made, it's like, oh my god, I've got it's but God, it's just so risky, isn't it? Like, In those forty six drafts that I've got this data from, he's been taking how many? six of them. So six, yeah. it's not a high number. So yeah, we're basically yeah. talking one out of every eight. And for comparison, where'd Kyle Teal go? Why am I not seeing Kyle Teal now? He disappeared. He, it's got to be more, I would think. Uh, 18. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's hard. With Salas, it's one of those things. It's hard to imagine him getting called up this season. But if he does, everyone is going to want him. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Like, even if you have good catchers. It's just, he's going to be the talk of the town, like everybody's going to bid a ton. He's one of those guys that'll go for a ton of money. Cause you know, you're every team has a second catcher. That's worse than that, you know, so, or pretty much. So it's just, that'll be crazy. Yep. Um, I'm so looking forward to the day he gets called up, but yeah. I don't fit. I don't think it's this year, but I'm I've been you. wrong before. I've been wrong before. I mean, there's, there's so many times it's like we think we know the timeline on these guys and then it's off, you know. So you mean you weren't expect I, you didn't think at the beginning of Fe- February when we were doing first year player drafts and he was a 16 year old that he was going to be in Double A by the end of the season? <laughs> yeah, Triple A, right? Double A. He gets a trip. He may. Have to, I'll, I'll, I'll verify I that. Swore he had, I thought he might have had a couple games at Triple. Maybe not. I don't think so. Been. Yeah, uh, might have no. Double A. Nine games at Double A to end the year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely didn't see that. And I, I definitely don't see him coming up this season, but I don't know. It's like you say stranger things have happened, but has anything stranger ever happened than an 18-year-old catcher making it? I, and I don't know, man. He, that's that's pretty he, high on the list. He doesn't turn 18 till June either. I know. God. He's still 17, and he was playing in double-A games. Like, like what happens if he just crushes it from jump this season? Like, Is there any chance? Like, yeah. I'm you know, not, like the fact that he made double A as a 17 year old, I am not ruling it out. Do I expect it? No percentage of chance. I'd probably say five to 10 percent. But as they say in the Dumb and Dumber movie, so you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. What's funny is there may be a guy in this group that winds up making a big difference in fantasy leagues. It's just Obviously, it's really hard to peg. Yeah, because it sometimes with this it just comes down to injury. I could see Sam Huff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one. being interesting if like Jonah Heim isn't great, stuff like that. Yeah, I could see him. I don't being hate one of those guys. Uh, I I may be mispronouncing it, but I I don't hate him. Like as a Cardinal guy who was a pretty good defensive guy, he he had improved at the plate a little bit this last year, and he's still not that good, but. I'm not ruling out him going somewhere and getting at bats and playing. Another thing we should have mentioned, um, Henry Davis. Oh, I meant get, to do uh, that. I forgot to put him in the notes, but he was in my point to talk about him. Did I? Yeah, so he could get catcher eligible, should get catcher eligibility early. Um, I'm glad you brought this up. 
Where do you think he? Where do you think he slots in here? Like Alta, I like I've got him personally. What's it? Right. What's his ADP? Let me pull it up. I did not. I meant to get him on these dang notes, and then I completely. Yeah, I just, I just thought of it. Um, um, his ADP right now is three oh nine in the last thirty days, so that's twenty first round. I took him in my second draft. I think I took him in the sixteenth round or sixteenth or eighteenth round. I can't remember. Yeah, the draft I'm in. The draft I'm in now. He went round seventeen. That's where I think he belongs, but I think it's good. Right, like I think it's going to keep moving up. That's the way I say it. Um, me personally, I would probably put him in that twelve to fifteen range. Like I'd, I'd probably slot him in right there with Old Hoppy and Kubert Ruiz and Naylor. I think that's about where he belongs. Um, yeah, the, probably about, at the end sounds... of that. He's probably, he's probably, even though a lot of people recognize that he should get catcher eligibility. He's probably still being discounted from where he would go if he had yes that eligibility now. Yes. You know? I completely so, agree. Um, you know, it's just more obvious when you see the C next to his name. He's gotta so, he's gotta get the games and the question is how much are they gonna play in there? I think he's gonna start the year playing there most days, but I mean it, there's no lock if he's not doing well defensively that he they could start you know moving him in and out and it, that just means it takes longer. Like I believe he'll have catcher eligibility. The question is how quickly. It could be two weeks in. It could be a month or two months in. We just yeah, that's the question. But he's still not a dead spot in terms of you can put him like as an outfielder five and he's okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, it's I. It's kind of a hedge. It's kind of a hedge, but you're also. Um, getting him at a discount, lesser cost, yeah, lesser cost than you probably would. If, but I mean, you could also say he's going higher because people know that too. It, it, you could look at it a hundred different ways. But yeah, I just I thought I don't even know what made me think of him right here at the end. I just thought of it like because I was trying. Well, what I was trying to think of and what I usually go through drafts thinking is who could get eligibility at this position or that position that doesn't have it now. And a lot of times it's second base or outfield or stuff like that. It's not usually catcher actually. Um, so it's a unique situation, but I thought of it right away when I thought that. Okay. So let's wrap up catcher here. Uh, who's your favorite player at their ADP? Um, I am going to say, Wilson Contreras. I agree. I think I would say Contreras. I think I'd now say Mitch Garver, oddly enough, now that I'm looking a little more. Um, those are mine. So, yeah, we're we're lockstep here. But I, I also will say that I am fine with pretty much all of the guys in the top, uh, like, 13. And once you get to, like, Kiebert and Haim is where I'm – probably passing and waiting a little bit, but like any of those guys, I, I, there'll be drafts where I take one of the top four and then take my second one in, uh, in that range where Wilson Contreras is going. There probably will be drafts. Well, there already has where I've take two in that range. And then there'll hopefully be less drafts where I take one of them and then one later. But 
I could see a thing in bigger drafts come March where I take um, I take one of the guys higher, you know, even like Adley, and then take like one of those guys in that range, maybe like the last one from the group or something. I don't feel really strongly about um, which one of of that group, like Sal, Raleigh, Contreras, Murphy, Alvarez, Moreno, even Naylor and Ohapi. Like it's kind of one of those where. I'll take the guy that comes to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, definitely. Like I said before, like that group and want one of one, at least one of my catchers from that group in every draft. You just kind of saying there that there aren't many that you dislike at their ADP. You know, that's what makes this next question hard where it's just like the ones you're avoiding or the ones you don't like at their ADP. And I'm going to answer that first because I'm, I was going to say that right there, which is, Really running down this list, there are very few that I dislike, so I feel like I have to nitpick here to actually pick some. Like JT Real Muto is going to be one of my picks, and Jonah Heim is the other. But really, for the most part, even with Real Muto, I get it, and I'm not really like, I don't, there aren't many guys at their ADP that I just hate in this, in this here. Like, once you get down into the, you know, catcher two tier, there's a lot of them I don't like, but they're also catcher twos. So it's like, how much can you hate the guy going in that like 250th overall? It's right, right. To where, yeah, I, I, that's the way I'd answer that. Do you have anything to add? Um, I think my, my main thing I would say is I probably won't leave any draft taking the second catcher off the board. Like mm-hmm. assuming assuming Adley's one, like obviously on the off chance that JTR goes ahead of Adley, then maybe I would you know I would take Adley. But assuming Adley goes first, I'm probably not picking the second guy, um, and I'm likely just waiting, you know. Um, but other than that, yeah, all these guys I'm good with. Some I'll have more than others or less than others. I. If uh, Yaner Diaz is going ahead of that group after him, I may not have a ton of him, but it, it's not really anything to do with him. It's just kind of the context of the position and where I want to attack it. But yeah, I like I like a lot of it. I I like like I said, I like having good catchers um, or at least guys that I feel like could positively contribute, you know, and then you find guys at the other positions and man, there's just, isn't it just so rare for you to pick up a catcher on waivers and he's like really helping you during a season. It's just not, it's not as common. And I think that's why I just, most of the time I want to leave the draft feeling pretty good about my catchers. So overall that's my strategy, but I do tinker and play around with, I play enough leagues that I'm kind of always like, let's see what this looks like. Let's see what that looks like. And, you know, go from there. But I think overall, most of the stuff that I said is what I would do if I like did one league or my main leagues, stuff like that. And I'm with you this year. I think we're both in pretty good agreement on strategy there. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to touch on utility only players and then we'll, we'll get out of here.
Okay, so we got just a handful of UT-only guys here to talk about, and there's one monster one to talk about. But, um, you know, UT-only players, you're, you only have one position you can play them at. What are your thoughts, you know, about taking one of those uh, in term, uh, as you're going through this draft? Like, in terms of, uh, like, early you know, in the, the middle range of the starters or late, like what are your thoughts on UT only guys? So I actually have a, I've changed my thoughts on this a lot in the last few years. And it mostly, so, you know, my thought process always used to be numbers are numbers. If I, whether I get them from my UT slot or wherever, you know, that's, ultimately what's most important, which is still true. Um, you know, this is the Nelson Cruz days and all that, you know, which I, I still get that side of it, but the other side of it that I'm realizing more and more as I do more of these leagues, um, whether it be really, I mean, more so, I guess with draft and holds, cause you have so many guys on your roster, but even in non-draft and hold leagues where you have like seven man bench is so you draft, you know, say you do draft and hold, you got 26 hitters, 27 hitters, whatever you draft. Um, you don't always know where your strengths are going to be. Like you may end up having three first basemen that are really good or three third basemen that are really good or eight outfielders that are really good and you can't play all of them. And I just think that, the flexibility that you're given when you can just put your best hitter remaining at UT as opposed to just having that slot completely locked up, it's helpful over the course of the year, just being able to do that all the time. Um, I definitely had leagues last year where I had like a couple outfielders every single week on my bench that I was like, oh man, I'd love to play them in another slot. I had like eight outfielders I wanted to play. Um and that just gets cut down when you have UT only. So I tend to just avoid them now for the most part or way more than I used to. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't take them, but yeah, that's just that's just kind of how I feel about it. I, I think that sometimes we can end a draft thinking I'm strong at this position or I'm strong at that position, but you don't really know. And like if you hit, if like the position that you drafted a prospect on, it comes up and breaks out like say you pick a like trying to think of a good example of a prospect drafted in like the 25th round right now or 30th round whatever and he comes up and he's a stud but you already have studs at the top at that position you it's harder to get them into your lineup you Mm -hmm. know so i i tend to only take the UT only guys now if I feel like I'm really getting a good price on them. I'm just not not as aggressive on them as I used to be. Yeah, I quoted you two weeks ago on that podcast with Lucas and Josh about how my eyes really felt like they had been shifting ever since you. I heard you say something about leaving yourself outs in the draft to where you've got flexibility to do whatever and take the value. And there's something to that. If you take a utility guy, you're you're giving yourself a little less flexibility as you're drafting or even like you just said during the season as you're moving guys around. So I think there is something to that. Yeah. 
Now, the other thing, the other thing to think about too is, will this guy gain eligibility during the season? I correct. You always want to think about that as well. I mean, a lot of some of them won't, but some of them could. Or some of these guys we're going to talk about could. Uh, there's at yeah. least one or two of them. I'm we'll be getting to that, and that is true. Uh, Shohei Otani, that's the obvious number one UT only guy. Um, he isn't going to be pitching, um, but he's with the Dodgers. And obviously that is an incredible situation. So are you like his ADP is 14. Are you willing to take him in the first round or like, let's even like, where does he have to go? Like, where do you think he has to be where you're starting to think about taking him and taking him personally? After just saying that about UT, but it's also Shohei Otani. Is he an exception? Yeah, I, I don't. I, yeah, oh, he's definitely an exception. I don't. I don't think of the normal rules when I'm talking about it because I, I do feel like you're getting uh, somewhat of a discount with him. You know, like if Otani had outfield eligibility, he wouldn't go at 14. No, so 44 and um, 20. Yeah, year. I. I think it's about right. I think like late first, if I'm at the wheel and he's there, I'm probably thinking about it. Um, yeah, anywhere from like the late first to the early second, I think his ADP is about right. I think I definitely think it's a clear bump with the Dodgers. Um, I don't care a ton that he's not pitching. I know it it hurts your flexibility some, but I mean you're using him as a hitter mm-hmm. anyways for the most part. Um, but it does, it does have some value taken out. So I get that. Um, probably won't end, leave too many drafts with him, but I think it's about the right range. I'm never sitting there going, Oh man, that's bad pick or anything like that. I think it's about right. Yeah. I think I, I personally would knock him down a few spots from where he's at, but it's not by much. I'm probably not going to end up with him on many teams. I do worry about the elbow reconstruction. Like he didn't have Tommy John surgery though. So as I've been saying, like as I was, as I've realized that I'm like I wonder if this surgery doesn't do the same thing like, you know, Bryce Harper and a lot of people they say the power is a little slow to come back. But like would you take like would you take like Harper I would Jordan, take Harper. Ol- Olsen, Jordan? I think I might take Olsen. Jordan's close. Like I'm I could probably be talked into Otani over Jordan because of the fact that I just feel better about Otani staying on the field and Jordan, he's so awesome when he's playing. But I get, I like, I, I worry about his body type and just missing two months of the season anytime. And so I think I might take Otani over him, but it's not a big drop. I think Olsen and Harper, I would take over him, but that's about where I would stop. Yeah. And I, I, and I don't blame anybody else for taking Otani over him. It's just my personal preference. Yeah, Which yeah, I'm to. pretty, I'm pretty much with you. So we don't have to go. Otani's a stud, <laughs> right there. Yeah, and yeah, we're pretty much in line. We're pretty much in line there. I mean, we go all the way down to pick 169 before we get to our next UT only guy, and that's uh, Marcelo Zuna. And it used to be that we'd have quite a few people in this. I remember the days of like Stanton, Fran Mill Reyes, and a few others being right here in this spot. Nel- Nelson Cruz. And it's dried up to where now the only other guy in the top 200 is Marcelo Zuna, who yoked 40 homers in 2023. And Steamer's projecting 255 with 32 homers, a loaded lineup, but costs you a UT spot. But that does that's a discount. Is it enough of a discount for you? 
talk man about his uh 11, his, 12th round yeah his batted ball data was really good um yep i i'm not really targeting him but again it's it could be a mistake i i feel like you're buying high a little bit off of a you know 33 year old that has had a couple down years before that um but he was he was really good last year so um probably yeah about the right spot once again i don't feel i don't feel really strongly about him either way because i think that the discount is baked in some um but it probably should be so you have room for profit because last year was kind of like perfect worlds colliding and i doubt that he repeats that i'm in a slow auction right now and this is a slow auction draft and hold league I've, you know about it um, quite a few, like Lucas, our good buddy, is in it. Um, plenty, plenty of our friends are in this league, and Ozuna's actually out there on the on the um, board right now, and he's twelve bucks. And for comparison's sake, he's got about five hours left before he's won. And I've got White Langford. I'm leading on. He's got about two hours and forty three minutes, and he's only at nine dollars right now. And like to me, I'm like, man, I'm taking Langford over Ozuna straight up any time in a draft. And all auctions are different, but I'm just like, I personally think I'd rather get Langford and get that position eligibility, uh, that having the outfield position over him. But what are your thoughts? Like straight up, it, like just to throw two names back to back to you right there, like Langford versus Ozuna. But you, you know, Langford's unproven, but Ozuna's UT only. Yeah, Langford for me. Yeah, we'll get to him in outfield, but yeah. Uh, I'll have a lot to say when we get there. Okay, let's move down. There's two more guys that are going eight picks apart, J.D. Martinez and Eloy Jimenez. Him or him, J.D. Martinez or Eloy? Uh, I'll take Eloy. You know, he's the one that's on a team compared to J.D., who's actually even unsigned right now. So any any reason? Yeah, I think I, I think it's it's mostly just to do with the youth. Um He's had a hell of a time staying on the field, obviously. That's it's an been tough. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw a list, actually, of all of his injuries since 2019 on Twitter the other day. And it was it was just com- – it was actually comical, like how many things were listed. So, yeah, I, I would – I think for me it's just I would rather buy low on a 27-year-old with those issues than a 36-year-old coming off of a strong season that's a free agent. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think it's like crazy or anything either way. You know, Again, it's probably two guys I won't have a ton of, but I mean, like Ozuna and JD, they had really, really productive seasons last year. So I also get if you don't agree on the UT thing, like with – what I said, if you just look at it like this is production and I'm going to take it, I totally get that too because I've I've had that. It can work within whatever team you have. I just um, I just kind of look at it a little bit differently. But uh, these guys do produce, so yep, yeah, yeah. Do. I, I don't have any don't have any problem with somebody having a different opinion on that. I could I could make an argument for either, and I'd probably waffle on either one. Where do you think J.D. Martinez signs? That's something I've been thinking about since I wrote his name down. And I've just, like, 
really a little I heard, stumped on. I heard somebody I heard somebody speculate uh Arizona. Really? As a interesting spot. Yeah. That would be very interesting. But you know, he's been there before now that I think about it. Wasn't he traded there like middle of the year once? I think he played like I think a so. and he Something blew like up. Let's yeah. see. Arizona, they did just sign Lourdes Gurriel, though, but I mean they got Alec Thomas in the outfield. That'd probably be the guy to lose. Or no, they got Jake McCarthy at right field right now. So yeah, they could sign JD, make Jake McCarthy a fourth outfielder, put Guriel back and left, or and Carolyn Wright. I guess yeah, that'd be doable. Yeah, something like that. I could see that. Been there before. But there's there's probably other. I don't know who's actually truly in on him. I just saw that speculated and thought it sounded interesting. All right, let's talk about another guy who I have. Um, talked about a lot or whenever we talked whenever we went on the Minnesota Twins when we were to, on the AL Central and that's Byron Buxton at 279 uh looking at the overall trend Rich is isn't only draft amp eight champions I went and looked to see what his like ADP has done this offseason and it's actually dropped like in October into the first half of November he like it, it went down which surprised me and but it's been pretty stable since He's UT only, but he was expected to resume baseball activities in December. Rocco Baldelli said, if everything goes well, having him out there in center field is the plan. So Buxton in the 18th round, we've discussed this before. I think I'm in on this price, but I've yet to get him in either of my draft and holds I've done so far. You know, you want to talk about Eloy Jimenez having a laundry list of injuries. Buxton can trump that. (laughs) He's got a longer track record of him, too. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of I don't know, Buxton's just a strange case. I'm like I feel like I'm kind of halfway in between. Um The cost is nice. I mean, in comparison to what he's been obviously in the past, it's it's so much cheaper. But this is his yeah, tenth tough. season it, in the big leagues. Tenth. Yeah. And yeah, and I I feel like a lot of the upside that we've all always dreamed on with Buxton. I feel like that's mostly gone. I agree. Um, I'm not going to say it's completely gone, but I do think it's mostly gone. Um, just even just in terms of the, uh, the steals specifically. I mean, there was a point where even not too long ago, even, even though he hasn't had high stolen base totals, but you're always kind of thinking like, well, you know, if I get a healthy season out of him, I could get, you know, 20 steals or more. They I stole mean, 29 in 2017. But, yeah, but I think now it's just more about keeping him healthy. And I just don't, even though he's still really fast, I just don't see him being out there running wild on the bases and all that. So... He does have a lot of power. I I wouldn't be surprised if he was healthy, if he hit for a bunch of power, you know, had a lot of home runs. Um, when he's playing, he'll hit high in a great – or not a great lineup, high in a solid lineup, you know, good lineup, whatever. But one thing to just be aware of too is they tend to sit him a lot even when he's healthy. Yep. Just to keep him healthy. So – there's one thing I've noticed from owning him was 
the year before last, and I didn't follow it quite as closely last year because I didn't have as much of him, but it was like he would be healthy, you know, on the active roster, not on the IL, and he'd play two games, sit one, play two games, sit one, and then there'd even be weekends where he'd sit two, and he wasn't even hurt, you know? So I just think that the games played upside, the plate appearance upside is a lot lower even if he's healthy, it's something also to think about if it's a weekly league where like you have to lock him in for the whole week because you may only get like four games, you know, stuff like that. Now, granted, his per game output can Incredible. be better than, yeah, it can be, yeah. But all in all, it just, it just feels like a lot of headaches. Now he's 30. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to end up with too much, but I get it. I do get it. I think I'm going to have some shares. I think I'm going to be in. I mean, you were saying the the steals, and I agree that the like the dream, the one season he played almost a full season, 140 games in 2017, he stole 29 bags. And I don't think that's like a reality at all. 20, probably not. I still think it's possible, though. Like, he had a bad knee last year, so he's on a bad wheel. Played 85 games only at DH. They wouldn't even put him in center to play the outfield because of his knee situation, and he still stole nine bat bases in those 85 games to where I could see him, if he was able to get himself out there for two-thirds of a season, stealing 50 high teens and hitting 25, 30 homers. But it's also dreaming on him staying healthy, and that is... I mean, he's, like I said, this is his 10th season, and he's yet to play more than 92 games but once, which is incredible. So maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's almost like, that's almost hard to do. It, it is. It absolutely is. So maybe, maybe I'm going to be, like, I've never been a sucker for Buxton since 2016 was the last year I was really in on him. I remember taking him in a dynasty league, a startup, my first startup dynasty. He was on my very first team. And I've been off of him ever since, and this is the first year I'm in on him. I feel like I'm in, and maybe this is just my turn to become a sucker. <laughs> so, who knows? Um, after that, I mean, the only we're into the reserve rounds for Joey Manises. Uh Dave Martinez did say in December he played through a knee injury. He had a bat, like a, uh, he took a step back this last year after having a very nice breakout in 2022. He played at first 19 games, so he just missed the 20-game threshold by a game. Dominic Smith was the first baseman, and he's gone. There's no lock that Washington won't bring someone else in, but Manises is an early reserve round cost here. So would you feel comfortable taking him like in the, like at the beginning of the reserve round whenever you don't have any guaranteed position eligibility, or do you think this is just a pass? Uh, I think it's a pass. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have too much interest, especially, I know he could get position eligibility, but I'm not really looking to add somebody like this as a UT only going in that I don't even think is that talented to begin with. You know, it's like multiple things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm passing on Manassas. Manassas. I took him in the first one, and I don't know if I'm going to be do like that Rotomasters draft and old. I don't think I'm going to be doing it a whole lot going forward, though. The more I've thought about it, 
Go Another ahead. thing to keep in mind when, and I know this is kind of stating the obvious, but it's just something to think about is if you, you know, when you take one of these guys, like say you take Ozuna and there's another one that you like that's further down. Like, let's say you like Buxton too, or Eloy or, you know, whoever it is. It's like, you really can't take both of them, you know? So if one of, if you take Ozuna and then the other ones are just falling and falling and falling and falling, you know, you can't, what are you going to do? Draft two of them? You just have to be really picky, I think, on where you pick these guys up. Yeah, also fair. Anybody else on this list of the rest of the guys? We've got Viento, Soderstrom, Harold Ramirez, Heston Kerstad, Andrew McCutcheon, Jonathan Miranda. You know, some- uh, I th- I think Soderstrom could be a little interesting if he gets he could get catcher. He caught 15 games. Um, he had 18 at DH, uh, 15 at catcher, and 10 at first. So, if he was to get catcher, which I would think he would, um, that could be interesting. Vientos could maybe even pick up position eligibility, but yeah, not not too much on these guys. I mean, they're late flyers, anyways, and probably not too impactful but some of them could get outfield or other position eligibility yeah Kerstad definitely could and the question is does he get the playing time because there's just so many you know I think there'll be a chunk this year where he gets a shot but he's got to also show it when he gets the shot so yeah I'm I'm not really seeking out any of these guys as like a what I would call a target by any means like Kerstad right now is projected to, like when you look at roster resource, he's not, he's projected to start the year in the minors. And I think I would probably bet on that if I was to make a guess, but I mean, you know, go out and have a strong preseason and anything could change, but yeah. I'm yeah. I feel, I feel like we're going to get to, I've said this to a couple people already, but I feel like we're going to get to March and there's just going to be this mad dash of like, young guys that are performing and might make the team and they've been drafted in like round 30 round 35 mm-hmm. round round 25 whatever it is and it's like oh my and they're just gonna fly way up the boards like i just so i've been actually loading up quite a bit on some younger guys that i could see that happening with with the hopes that I'm catching it before all the steam comes yep. and then there's no, there's no value anymore. I think there's going to be, I just thought of it with Kirstead, which I'm not really high on Kirstead, but he is one of those young players that you just never know. It and there's happen. guys, there's guys all over the league like that. Yes. I mean, it's why I've been aggressive on some of the younger players that we'll get into that. Um, right now, you know, you, if you just want to, use roster resources, the gospel, like the be all end all, then maybe it doesn't look that way. But like, to me, it's like, I see Mike Talkman in the lineup and Pete Crow Armstrong, not, and I'm going, okay, you know, like put two and two together. This isn't that hard. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's so, and I think you can get discounts on a lot of these players not right now where there's just a lot more you're unknown. Just, you're just not. Yeah. And once once that time comes, all the value is going to be, or a lot of the value is going to be sucked out of it, you know, and then you're not getting them at the cost you are now. Jordan so. Walker was a good example last offseason, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's probably, you could probably name one or two on every single team. I mean, there's tons of them, but um, yeah, I think these teams are getting smarter and they're going to play their best players. A lot of times those are young, exciting players when they have, you know, just run of the mill options. And yeah, I see a lot of that coming. So we'll see. So what are we touching on next week? We're done with UT. We're done with catchers. Are you wanting to just move around the diamond and do first base or are you wanting to do a different one? We're not doing outfield. Yeah, we're not doing pitchers. I'm good with uh, yeah, I'm good with first base. I'm really whatever position on the infield, I guess. Okay, we'll just first base is fine. We'll move our way over to first base, and we'll get to talk about a lot of interesting ones doing that. But yeah, we've officially finished up the first position catchers, and I think this is the most positive we've been about catchers going in. Like a lot of times, we've dreaded this position, like going into yeah. it and pushed it off, and yeah, this one was fun. Yeah, it's I, – I think that the top, um, like, 15 is stronger than it's pretty much ever been. I don't – or at least that I can remember, you know. Yeah, we're probably going it's back to the really, steroid era before it was this good. Yeah, it's really, really good um, in comparison. Now, now I don't know if the top, like, two or three is quite as good as it's – but it's still, it's still really strong. But just the depth of it and – um, I think you can have a lot of different strategies within the position too. Like, even if you want to wait all the way and just, you know, completely punt the position, you can probably get away with that too. It's not my strategy, but I think that there's, um, advantages that you could find too, by doing that with, at other positions. So a lot of ways you can go and we just kind of, you just kind of have to figure out where your, your targets are and go from there you're gonna have to punt something in, fa- in yeah. fantasy baseball there's a position you're gonna have to wait on because you can't take all 23 in the first 15 rounds so you just got to find what works for you in terms of what you're okay waiting on so yeah, definitely we'll, we'll move over to first base next week thank you all for listening and until then take care everybody yep take care guys Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 